Hello everyone, welcome to episode 902 of Cold Wave Soundcheck. I'm Aaron Pollock. Cold Waves has returned for 2021 in Chicago, kicking off Thursday, September 23rd, and running through Sunday the 26th at Metro, Smart Bar, and G-Man. Cold Waves is a celebration of Chicago's relationship with industrial music, the memory of a fallen brother, and a fundraiser for suicide prevention charities. For more information, including the full lineup and ticket links, head to coldwaves.net. This week, we're chatting with Friday Night Metro performers Mark and Adam. This is Consolidated. Global stock markets have plunged over fears about the coronavirus and the conflict among major oil producers. Your choice is to get America or the future. America or humanity. It's an impossible natural world. You don't get both. You think you can have both. You get America. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. 
form a group too This is not the time to be demoralized There's stuff for all to do If you can work, if you can build If you can teach, if you can help If you can play, if you can sing If you can do anything, just start doing it Otherwise, My math might be wrong, but but you guys are approaching roughly thirty five years of making music or so. You goddamn right. Did you ever read one of those super long articles where it's like an oral history of Saturday Night Live or an oral history of of whatever? I want this to be the oral history of Consolidated. <laughs> oh no, twenty minutes. Uh, yeah, we can't talk that fast. I smoke too much weed to talk that fast. We need about uh, five times that. There are no rules that we can make this the longest episode we've ever had. Take me back as far as you guys want to go. Get get me started. Adam and I uh, met sometime in 1986 playing with this band uh, that Adam was one of the founders of called Until December. And uh, I was a pickup bass player in that band. And uh, he and I met and uh, left that group and started Consolidated, I guess, uh, sometime in like 1987, and it's kind of funny, I've been going through archives looking for stuff for the show, and I ran across a cassette tape, an early demo of ours from 1987, so I know it goes back that far. Yeah, and we traveled the world and elsewhere. Care to pick it up, Adam? Yeah, we the, the band that we had been in, uh, it served uh, as, a, as a good takeaway for a lot of lessons, and uh, we applied that and consolidated uh, by just sort of getting away from being the rock band that uh, many are forced to be, we thought. And so we had an uh, oppositional aesthetic and oppositional politics, meaning opposition to just mainstream 80s American Reagan period, uh, laissez-faire music industry life. And I, you know, I admittedly came from that uh, all my life as a kid when that kind of crappy music had so much power. It guaranteed, uh, and so much great music at that time, pulled a lot of us into music for life. Uh, but uh, the music industry experience and its, uh, you know, crassly exploitive and boring uh, aspects made us want to do something different. So we 
we made you know music that was still based on uh, uh, what we thought were uh, like the traditions of dan- electronic and live dance music and funk and uh, reggae and uh, noisy stuff from the 80s. But then uh, <clears throat> pretty quickly when we uh, discovered uh, that music had been part- swept into all kinds of identity capitalism, uh, that the industrial music was, you know, uh, it was serving as a, a vehicle for its male audience to uh, you just act barbarically and uh, and basically act the way that, you know, they've acted all along before, during and after and up until today. And we, we changed course at that point And we uh, also along the way, we did something accidentally that was the most identifying uh, unique aspect of the group is we simply uh, finished our set, whatever it was with music and interactive video and as much uh, thought we could put into uh, making music with uh, political uh, ideas around all issues. Then we just stopped and we handed the mic to the audience to uh, reply, rebut, comment, you know, say anything they wanted uh, is as loud and obnoxious and drunken as articulate and visionary and uh, astute as anyone wanted to. We tried to keep the hate out, you know, and we succeeded to some extent. And we recorded almost all of it, and it ended up being the text on our future albums, which you just don't hear bands doing uh, before, during, or since. And we, uh, you know, uh, that leads uh, all the way to pretty much the end of the band, you know, in the spinal tap trajectory of most bands, uh, all of those things happened. When you're touring around, did you find people to be more open-minded in the city shows, or did everyone just get drunk and say dumb things no matter where you were? Uh, The latter. And also uh, the opposite of the former proposition, because whenever you go to Kansas... If you're in Lawrence, Kansas, you're in a central intellectual vortex uh, that feeds from the east and west coast and everywhere else. Uh, and at the same time, you can be where Stanford and Harvard are. You can go to Palo Alto and Berkeley and Boston, and it's the you know you see the most barbaric and foolish and nonsensical type of behavior. And you know I'm not saying uh, that. I'm even above that wherever we're from, you know, we all have the bigotries and ignorances and and the sort of distortions of life uh, in America. So it was a, it's a great experience for me. I know Mark was trying to get the gear safely to the vehicle uh, when the skinheads <laughs> were surrounding me. So you, you may have a different opinion, but carry on from there. Mark. Yeah, well, a, a number of times. Sure. But, you know, I guess to that point, you know, there, there's. Uh, pockets of uh, cool people wherever you go, and there's pockets of assholes wherever you go. And uh, we encountered a, a lot of both. Tell me about getting network's attention and then getting Polygram's attention. So originally we signed to a, a German label uh, run by this uh, techno DJ, uh, this guy who's, who's still around from Frankfurt called Tala2XLC. Um, who was later in, in the band By God 20. But, uh, I mean, literally back then, the way it went is I think our drummer passed a cassette demo to some DJ who sent it to Tala, who liked it, that wrote us a letter, you know, a letter in the mail <laughs> saying, asking us if we had any recordings and, and wanted to do anything with his label. Around the same time, I believe we, you know, we were sending our, cassette demos out to every label and uh i think wax tracks turned us down and i think somebody at wax tracks 
told network that they should listen to our demo and they did and i guess i don't know the the taller record came out right around the same time that network got interested and so they did some kind of a collaboration is that right adam i don't i've seen it's been a long time i don't remember exactly how it went yeah and just to go back uh, before that aaron uh the band was three piece and the third member philip steer s-t-e-i-r was the drummer and uh, he, you know, was the guy who gave the mic to the audience in a brilliant uh, accidental move one night in a show that had four people. And uh, he also worked on the videos uh, that we showed at our shows. And, you know, he he made great uh, sort of uh, outreach to the animal rights and vegan communities in those times and helped us amass of, uh, you know, supportive activists uh, because that facet of, of rock and protest rock capitalism was also taking off. And so he was the third member. He couldn't uh, do it uh, this time around because of his life circumstances. So I just thought that was important to put in there. And he was with us during those years. And you're, you know, I'm demented blood, but that's the, uh, that sounds like the, uh, uh, chrono- uh, the chronology there. Yeah. And then, and then from network, we did, I think we did like, five albums i guess with network and and then around that time around the time that our contract was to be renewed or or whatever uh you know the major labels came sniffing around which uh <laughs> ended up to be the end of us that's an important part of the arc in the spinal tap story and that happened you know the group was already uh like many others although we were fortunate to have gigs and have a deal Nobody was getting rich and everybody was squeezed to the point of picking the most dysfunctional, most corporate ass company that had no idea really about the group. It was a it was a poor match. They mostly were in that context, in that industry. So we had experienced that and we uh, dug our ditch and we lived with it. And that was like uh, 94. And we did one album with them that uh, it was our last album as a group. Then the drummer cut out in like 95. And uh, Mark and I uh, did two more records as consolidated, uh, sort of in the name of the group. But by then, it was already a a project going into other directions.
So fast forward to 2019, uh, and this guy, David Dobson, wants to start a, uh, a tribute album to consolidate it. That has to feel good when someone wants to put out a tribute album. Well, well, I, I'd known David um, just kind of, you know, through the scene. Um, you know, like I said, I've been working with Meatbeat on and off. In fact, I still go out and, and do their live sound when it's, uh, you know, when they go play. So I've been I've been going to all the all the cold waves as, as uh, Meatbeat Manifesto sound engineer. And uh, so I've ran into to, to David a couple of times. You know, he's kind of kind of talked about it. And yeah, it's it's absolutely an honor, you know, to have uh, folks that interested in something that we did. And it kind of, uh, you know, that was just one thing that energized us. And that kind of, uh, you know, was part of the reason we decided to come out of the woodwork and make a new record together. We had other other friends and, and uh, you know, former uh, folks we worked with. It's kind of urging us to do stuff, and uh, so yeah. But uh, but the the David Dotson thing was a, was a big part of it for sure. I just wanted to talk about lyrically. There there's so many serious issues that that have been tackled, you know, over the years since since day one. But there there's always been a light heartedness to it. So how did you find that balance? Was was that always there from the beginning? Was was it something that that as you started playing it, it needed levity? How did that mixture come together? The whole trajectory of the protest artist and the bureaucratic entertainment specialist, they overlap with our lives. And that 30-year period, uh, so many things were, uh, you know, thought to be set in stone that uh, we were standing on the shoulders of artists and uh, activist movements that we wanted to join with. And, uh you know, address these things. And even by then, uh, as soon as you play in one industrial show, uh, you just see the inherent fascistic capabilities of everyone, everything, and it becomes funny. The things that we're even doing seriously, in hindsight, look even more comedic. And so back then, it just was necessary to show breadth and to do something different and to just point up the fact that, yeah, one kind of position or one kind of attitude is is as narrow as one kind of music and at some point we we went all over the place and the humor was just uh that was necessary in the same way that we were committed to all of our stuff was based in black music whether it was hip-hop or funk the industrial is just another word for techno which is another word for disco which is all just latin music so we, we have been doing all of that and then the other idea of the collage and things that sounded like groups like Negative Land or The Residents uh, were more Dada, you know, concrete and music terrorism. And that comes much out of, you know, a 19th and 20th century uh, European, mostly Jewish intellectual tradition that is, you know, everywhere in America, just like black music is everywhere in America. So that stuff naturally was just uh, it was equal and parallel and informing all the other decisions. When you think about the way the world was when you started and you look at the way the world is now, do you think things are getting better? Do you think they're getting worse or do you think they're just sort of like different? I don't think they're that different. I think they're pretty much the same. A lot of people think that 
it doesn't seem like anything's changed and uh, a lot of things uh, obviously have changed. But the one thing that changed fundamentally that no one admits has changed is the entire core economic principle that was ruptured when file sharing invaded the protected property of copyrighted uh, you know, materials that could be digitized. When that happened, the world changed in every single way for the rest of time. We're going to be heading away from any kind of capital that was knowable. And that's why people are like scrambling for 0.03 cents in their music royalties or scrambling to punish somebody for a kid for putting a video up on YouTube that has, you know, a claim on it. All of these things are recent. Uh, the last 20 years of people just trying to, you know, uh, somehow get the last pennies out of the capitalized world of sound because it was the first one that was ruptured and it was damaged uh, in such a way that it's going to spread to all other, you know, forms of the economy. Socially or politically, you know, I I feel like the the country's always, you know, one step forward, two steps back. There's more gay rights. There's gay marriage. There's more awareness about you know, vegetarianism and, you know, the fake beef and all that. And anything we improve on, it seems like we also find something else to to sort of mess up at the same time. Well, there is that, of course. Uh, At the same time, those gains that you just described, every single cultural gain had been on the move at various times in the past. In the 80s and 90s, everything you just described was on a trajectory towards making great social gains whether that was for you know people's rights or animal rights or the taste of fake beef. But they were all totally uh, reacted on by a concerted uh, COINTELPRO uh, that reduced the, you know, the effects of those gains. And it completely gave uh, amnesia to people for the future of remembering that how these movements were organized and how they had success. And now we come around today, today where people are going, well, finally, they're making a good, you know, vegan beef patty or whatever that is. And uh, we, you know, we have to realize that that's an analogy for our own depoliticization over the last hundred years, but specifically 60 years since the 1960s, when the radical movements all came and coalesced and actually challenged the state for the one and only time, and it really wasn't that great a challenge. People have been trying to reconstitute the solidarity and the level of organization required to get to that level, but it it hasn't happened. People have failed to learn the lessons of the previous movements, and so they failed to remember that we had already been to these places. And the people who are dying now have been telling me when I was unwilling to hear for my adult life, that they had already done that work and it had been uh, ruthlessly uh, counter uh, revolutionarily acted upon. And then we had these Groundhog Day cycles politically and we also have them uh, aesthetically, but the uh, file sharing thing, uh, that really changed all music for the dumber, for the more programmed, you know, in general. Uh, there's always exceptions and exciting things and inspirational artists and musicians everywhere. And that's what's great about uh, being involved in, in music, being involved in art, sports, dance, any of the humanizing things that uh, 
living your life in front of a screen with fear and, you know, uh, all kinds of uh, bigotries and mysticisms ruling your life. That was all I had, but I'm I'm happy to keep talking. If there was anything else that you guys that you guys wanted to to mention or go over, well, I, I think that's quite enough. <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely say that uh, for these shows, if people are listening to this and they are involved in social justice movements uh, in any on any uh, strata. You can attend these concerts and table at these shows and speak on the mic for a limited amount of time, maybe 10, 15 minutes in this context after our set about any of the political issues you're involved with, about what change you want to see, whatever you thought of uh, the performance or that concert. So you have that opportunity at our shows and uh, we're going to be doing that. That might just be uh, something you're not usually expecting at a concert. Activate the base one final time. Make a beat for society in decline. Those who want us suppressed will try to make this my last report, but it won't be cut short. You need to know why this project failed, why the forces of weakness prevailed, and now we're all trapped in the vicious cycle. I get on the phone to my friend Michael, whose story is called hypocrisy, and ours is based on the culture industry, keeping the public distracted, paralyzing the artist's potential impact, while the fascist elite accumulate all the wealth. And me and my pastors sit and ponder our health, which is failing, just like our career. But at the moment, a harvest never been severe. You can see a career go down the toilet, but no industry slime is gonna spoil it. Then you won't question my conviction. You know music's a contradiction where everybody loses. No win situation. Brutal equation. Starve. You can't pay the rent, so you die and ride. 
lose your credibility and clout Too much self-doubt to get out What are you gonna do to change this violent situation? I don't know, Google Equation Anyone can turn politics into exchange The point, however, is to change We don't play that female degradation We won't buy into that exploitation Not to get our record played on some radio station Word, brutal equation On this episode, you heard Capitalism AF, The Machine, and Brutal Equation. Consolidated can be found at consolidated.bandcamp.com. Our opening music is Euthanasia by Accumination. Our closing music is Messiah by Splinter Group. Subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Join us next week as we chat with Chris Hall from Stabbing Westward. Our closing segment each week is dedicated to the inspiration for Gold Waves, Jamie Duffy. Here is Gabe Shaw sharing one of his memories. I was on tour with a different band, and we were coming through Chicago, and we did our show, and um, we went to Neo afterwards for the you know the, the I don't even know if it was the after party, but you know everybody goes to Neo afterwards. So all of us were the band. All of us were we were drinking as you do at Neo, and, and the drinks kept coming and. Uh, we were at bus call uh, time was uh, upon us, and we um, again. I didn't really know Chicago very well. I didn't know where we were in relation to where the bus was, and um, the rest of the band uh, all piled into one cab, um, and I was I was the last one to try to get in the cab. And the band, being as inebriated as they were, thought it was funny to kick me out of the cab. Like literally, you know, use their foot and kick me out of the cab, and they drove off and just left me on the side of the road outside Neo just dazed and confused and having no idea which way was up. And, you know, I, I, you know, I had quite a bit to drink that night as well, just like the rest of them. And so I was in a kind of somewhat panic state because our, our tour manager on that tour was a, was a, was definitely a hard ass. He, he had left, I'd been on other tours when he left people behind that, that don't make it to bus call. And we were like minutes from bus call. And I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And I'm panicked. And just then, Jamie Duffy strolls on up and sees me and just kind of like, you know, picks me up. And he's just like, what's wrong? And I, you know, blubber to him. Like, oh, my God, I'm going to miss Buzz Call. And he's like, it's not a big deal. Like, yes, it is. Like, you're going to get left behind. I don't know where I am. You know, I'm just freaking out and being sad and pathetic. And so I'm just like, just a sad, pathetic mess on the side of the road who's about to miss Buzz Call and get left behind in Chicago. Jamie's just like. No, man, I got this. Don't worry. He flags a cab down. He's like, he just knew. Like, just, that's the great thing about Jimmy. He just knew. He knew. He knew. Well, obviously knew where I was, but he knew where I needed to go. He knew what, you know, where I just played. He wasn't even there at the show, I think, that night. I think, you know, just lucky that I ran into him. So anyway, he, ha- he hails a cab and 
tells the bus drivers, like, get this man to this address, like, fast as you can. And I'm like, I'm like, I have no money. I lost money. And he's like, no. He pulls out his wallet. He pays the cab driver you know, in advance. He's just like, you know, he knew exactly how much it would cost to get there. And and I'm like, oh, my God, man. Like, you know, like, this your lifesaver. He's like, no, man. And he's like, don't even worry about it. Man. You know, us band dudes, we got to stick together. And I'm like, thank you. And so it puts me in the cab. Sure enough, like, you know, I get there. And I get to just as the bus is about to leave. And so I make it just in the nick of time.